Hey, welcome to the Project Church Podcast. My name is Caleb Cole. I'm the lead pastor here at Project Church in downtown Sacramento. And we're so glad that you came to hear this word. We believe this is going to encourage you, build you up, and give you life. So get ready to receive a message from God. Amen. 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 Why don't you turn to the neighbor? Yeah, that's all right. We can cheer for Jesus. He's doing something. He's working in here. Um, Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, keep making room. Keep making room. Give it up for that worship team. Thank you. Give it up for whoever wrote that song. I I mean, that's such a stinking good song, and it just puts our heart in the right place and was such a great lead-in even to the launch today. Okay, this has got to really bug me, okay? This is like coming up on my nose. Does it look like something's coming up my nose? A little bit? It feels that way. Out? Coming out my nose? Oh, it looks like it's coming out my nose. That's good. Okay. Hold on a second. Let me fix fix this. But I'm excited to be launching a brand new series on actually exactly what we sang about, and that's making room for Jesus. It's okay? It's okay? (laughs) Looking for that front row assurance. Um, And yeah, we're so excited because we're talking about, you know, the rest of this year, we're talking about what we really want to focus on, especially as we come into the fall and we're having a grand opening season starting in September, five weeks of grand opening year, like we've been here for a year, but five weeks, we get to celebrate whenever we want to celebrate. So we're going to celebrate for five weeks from September through October, and then we're going to have our inaugural fashioned event. Girl, what, really? Yeah, there it is. Front row is excited. Michelle is excited. Um, So we have a lot of exciting things coming up, but we're like, what's a series that we feel is appropriate for right now? What is, what, before we go into this next season, where do we need to posture ourselves as a church? And we couldn't think of a better thing than worship. And then as we're talking about worship, we're like, yeah, we'll do a series on worship. And then we're like, I wonder when we say the word worship, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Singing. Thank you for the participation in the front row. Feel free this morning to participate. I am here for it. I felt like I prepared in a different way than I normally prepare. So let's, let's get loud in here. Talk back to the preacher. I never say that. Caleb says it all the time. Anyways, but I feel like we say worship is singing. Worship, really good worship, is when the band is on, you know. The smoke is really coming up just right, coming off the lights and giving you just the right effect. The vocals are going off. Is that worship? That's one way. I love it. Come on, keep talking. No, just kidding. Yes. And so I think sometimes we think about worship in such a way that it's so outward. And sometimes we keep worship in our minds and compartmentalize it as something that's outwardly done. And then we forget that we're compartmentalizing worship to just a time in our day, a time in our week where the music is on, where the right radio station is on, when the right playlist is on, and that's my worship time. And I think that we're actually being misled sometimes even by our own programming. It's not wrong, but there's something that we need to do to start understanding that worship is not just this time in church on Sunday morning where we sing three to four songs, and it's only good when the vocalists don't mess up and when nothing messes up with the tracks and the smoke is just right. It's not an outward thing. Worship is something that's about the heart. Worship is in the heart. And when, I, when we were thinking about worship and we were talking about our hearts, we were talking about the most pleasing worship to Jesus is when the heart is fully surrendered. So this series is called Heart Check, a surrender series. And that could be translated as a worship series, a time to get serious before God has us to do what he has us to do this coming fall. So let's have some heart checks in the next few weeks. I get to start off this week with the concept of creativity versus conformity. Creativity versus conformity. And before I get into that, because I feel like it's a, a concept that I kind of have to unpack with you all. I just wanted to go ahead and recognize that I have something on my wrist that looks like I'm going bowling later. 
right? Go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and call out what was very obvious. I don't have a great bowling game, but that, that actually, you know, that was good, right? I'm not going bowling. I just wanted to recognize and, and point attention to this because really since Easter, I've experienced a series of strange physical ailments. It was around Easter, and I had hurt my back, and it took me out of the gym for a few months. And just as it was starting to get better, um, my husband, my family, and I were on sabbatical. Caleb's not here today, actually, so give him love. He turned 40 next year. He's still working through that. Um, so he, uh, he and I and our kids, we were all on sabbatical. And just as my back was getting better, I kind of tweaked my wrist. And then in July, I think I actually sprained it. And then I was talking to a doctor this morning. If you join a team, there's a lot of interesting people on our teams. And the doctor was telling me this morning, it's probably a torn ligament. And I was like, it's probably it. And so th- there was a moment where I was kind of mourning because I have been out of the gym for the longest I've ever been out of the gym. And after I had my third baby, I was um, two years after she was born, I was heading into my 35th year on this life, on this earth. And I remember just being like, I'm going to be the strongest I've ever been in my whole life at 35. And then as I looked towards 40, I'm like, I'm going to be the strongest physically, most disciplined, like ripped. <laughs> just kidding. I don't really care to be ripped. Well, kind of. And I, I just feel like I'm going to be the strongest I've ever been at 40. And then my body starts breaking down. And if I was to tell you the things that caused this injury, you would say anybody under 39, if they were doing those same things, would not experience those a sprain or a ligament tear that you have, but here I am four months away from 40 and I'm in a bowling gear thing. <laughs> and I, I, I was mourning a little bit. And I'm, you're like, first world problems, Chrissy. I'm like, yeah, but there was some disappointment there. And then I heard and I sensed God saying to me, you had the desire to be your physically strongest, but I'm just gonna sit you down, gonna have you go on sabbatical, I'm going, to not, I'm going to restrict you, even with your physical body, and you're going to be the strongest emotionally you've ever been in your life. And as I was preparing for this message, I said, oh, I get it, Lord. You want me to take care of my heart, heart more than I've ever taken care of my heart. And I think he's wanting our church, if we're wanting to be the strongest we've ever been, make the most impact that we've ever made in our lives, then we're going to take care of what's so important to him, and that's our heart. And we're going to say thank you, Sam and Carly. Sam said last week, trials train us. I think we're being trained. And right now, Sam and Carly are being trained in the hardest trial of their lives. Keep praying. And keep your hearts available and open to what he wants to do in the other people in this church, not just your life. Sometimes we get real focused on what's going on in our lives. Believe me. I've, I've been thinking about, like, oh, I'm hurt, oh, my back, oh, my, all these hard things. There, there's a lot of hard things, but God said make room and make yourself available to pray for the needs of the church. If we are going to make the impact that God wants us to make here and in our future, we've got to have some heart checks. Let's have some heart checks today. Worship. And surrender is not an external thing. I can wave a flag up here. I can sing the perfect worship set, but that may not be worship to Jesus. Unfortunately, I'm concerned that we have not really understood the heart of worship. And I think every single one of us, your pastors included, your worship leaders included, your greeters, everybody has experienced a moment where they have not really understood the heart of worship. There's this song and I, um, by Matt Redman, and it's an old song, and sometimes we joke about it because it's such an old song, and so you kind of make fun of the old worship songs. But I actually heard him this summer, and I heard the kind of the back story to why he wrote the song, and I think that what he was experiencing is what I think that we need to get back to as well. Here are the lyrics of the song. It's a heart of worship. When the music fades and all is stripped away, And I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within 
through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship where it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. So what does a true heart of worship look like? You know, Matt Redman, the author and writer of that, that song, he was a music pastor, and essentially his pastor was just like, let's strip it all down. And almost begrudgingly, he wrote the song because he's like, what am I? Have, not, have I not been doing a good job? Like, he, you know, they had a rocking band. They had great production. And his pastor essentially said, let's strip it back. And then he was like, what is my worship without all the bells and whistles? Church, what is our worship without a Sunday morning service? What is our worship without the extra devotionals? What is our worship without community group? What is our worship when we're all alone and we feel tired, exhausted, emotionally drained? What is our worship? What is our worship when everything is going wrong? What is our worship when we don't know the future of our baby? What is our worship when we have no idea what is happening, what the next step is, when we're confused, when we're hurting, what is our worship? I'll bring you more than a song. I'll bring you more than a song. I'll give you my heart. And I think that's the attitude of us today. Let's give him our hearts. And giving him our heart, I believe, is going to require some heart checks. Heart checks. You know, when I think about hearts and what the world thinks about our heart, about the heart, they would say that, you know, the heart is really the sum total of your, your passions, your purpose, what you have power in, all the plans that you have in your heart. That, that's somebody who, who lives with heart, has great plans, is powerful, and has great purpose and passion. And I wonder if that's the world's view of what heart is, I'm a little nervous that the church has subscribed to that belief. I don't think that the Lord is concerned about our passions, our purposes, our plans, or our own power in and of ourselves as much as he's concerned about our purity. The purity of our hearts is what God is after. Sometimes we read Proverbs 3.15 and it says 3.5 and 6 and we say, trust in the Lord with all your hearts. And we're like, with all our heart. And then we just think about what does God want to do in my life? What are his passions that he put in me? And then what, how does he want to craft my life? How, do, how does he want me to do step one, two, three, to this, and then to this, and then I'll do this? You know, and we're saying we trust in the Lord, but we're actually just saying trust with all your heart. And we leave out trust in the Lord. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. You know, the quintessential worshiper of the Bible that, who, who's going to be a student for me here today? The one that, I'm the teacher that doesn't require you to lift your hand. But who is the quintessential worshiper in the Bible? David, thank you. David, A+. Plus. David, he writes a psalm, Psalm 51, and you've probably heard it. You've heard it in song, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Some, come on, Tom Green, anybody? Um, but he wrote this, scholars say, right after one of the most miserable, sinful times of his life. It was after he had committed adultery, and some have even said possibly um, abused a woman, and then premeditated the death of her husband, someone who is actually his close friend. And then he writes this song. Yet David is considered the worshiper and the worshiper after God's own heart. That should give us a little breath of fresh air in this room when we consider our own lives, our own hardships, and our own issues, right? That he was a man after God's own heart. Why? Why was he a man after God's own heart? I think he does the heart check stuff. 
He does the right stuff. And so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to that scripture, Psalm 51, 10 through 12, four verses that I think are going to give us really quick questions that we can be asking ourselves as we check our own hearts. So let's start there, Psalm 51, 10 through 12, and I will get into creativity and conformity, but let's read here. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. When I look at that, Few, those few scriptures, I feel like there's four questions that we can be asking ourselves so that we can check our own hearts. Number one, how do we perform a heart check? I think the first question we, we should ask is, who can purify my heart? Who can purify my heart? In this pursuit of purity and not just our own plans and purposes and passions, in this pursuit pursuit for purity and a, and a heart that's surrendered and a heart that is truly worshiping God, I think we have to ask the question, who can purify my heart? I was almost afraid to call this a checklist because we have reduced Christianity and our walk with God to behavioral checklists. And when it's so external, we lose the heart of worship and we lose the attention. Our attention goes to the wrong place. It needs to stay internal. It needs to stay internal. And it has to stay and we have to keep our eyes on who can actually purify our heart and not just reduce our worship to a checklist. Who? Wowzers. Who can purify our heart? Verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God. Who is cleaning the heart? Who is doing any of the creating? God. We were on staff retreat. It's a planning retreat. And this week, we, we spent some time in that, these scriptures, and it kind of took me on a left turn in this message. Because at first I wanted to, like, you know what? Creative is our spirit. Creative is like we're worshipers. All of us worship by what life we create for ourselves. And, you know, like what are you creating in your life? And that should be your worship and creativity. And then God kind of stopped me dead in our tracks as we were praying this week at staff. And it's like, hold on. So much of us have celebrated creators and so many of us have celebrated the creativity of this world and even in the Christian world that we have forgot who the creator is. And I'm afraid that we've gone to a place where we have worshipped the creatives and not the creator. And so we have to get to the place where we're saying, who is doing the creating? Who, who is doing the purifying? It's only God and God alone. Only he can clean up the heart of a man who abused a woman, got her pregnant, then, and premeditated to murder his wife. And it was his best friend. Like only God can purify the heart of an individual as sinful as that. And you're like, yeah, he was so sinful. Stop it. Look internal. We are all sinful. We are all broken, all gross inside. Gross. Who can purify our hearts? Only God. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Sometimes we're like, oh, I just need to think better. I just need to, okay, that, that Instagram post told me to do this. The third slide was really good. I need to do that. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, oh, my gosh, she's so good. I need some more mental checks in my life. No, we just need to surrender. We just need to surrender and not conform to this world who makes Instagram their therapist. He's not... Instagram is not your therapist. It cannot purify your heart. You can do all the checklists, and some of them are brilliant and beautifully 
um, beautiful graphics. I love that. I love a good graphic, okay, with some really good sound advice. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of great sound advice in there. But who can purify your heart, God and God alone? Who is going to be there when your phone dies, when your Instagram account gets hacked? Where are you going to get your therapist there? Well, after that, after that happens, what happens? God and God alone purify. He is the creator. We need to worship him and him alone so that we can create a life that he designed for us. Number one, who can purify your heart? Who can purify your heart? Let me tell you right now, it's not you. It's not your pastor. It's not your accountability partner. It's not your best friend. It's God and God alone. Who are you when you are in a room by yourself and nobody is around? Only God can purify your heart. Number two, what's the second way that we can perform a heart check? We need to ask the question, how much do I value right standing with God? How much do I value? It says here, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. I love the cry of David's heart. Cast me not away from your presence, O oh God. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Are you desperate for the Holy Spirit the way that David is? I'm afraid we're not desperate enough because we're not aware enough of our own sin. Cast me not away from your presence, O oh God, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. He's like holding on for dear life. He, re he recognizes at this point. He recognizes the, the, the depravity of his soul because of the sins that he committed. But then he's saying, God, I, he was not even asking to be forgiven. He's not even asking that things were made right in this situation. He's asking that his presence wouldn't be taken away from him, that God's presence wouldn't leave him. He was more concerned not about getting things right in his life, not about him being forgiven, but he was more concerned that the presence would leave him. Are we desperate for the presence of God in our lives? Are we so desperate that we say, don't leave me. Don't leave me. Take me with you. I shouldn't have said that. Inside joke. Sorry. What is my problem? How much do I value right standing with God? How much do I value it? That question will put your heart right. When you start understanding that his presence brings me to a point of decision that says, I choose right standing with you. I'm not going to hide in my shame. I'm not going to hide from the rest of this world. I'm going to be hidden in you and your forgiveness and in your presence. How much do you value right standing with God? Become desperate for his Holy Spirit. Sometimes that looks like getting alone with him and in desperation. Sometimes that, sometimes that means getting desperate to be in the presence with the rest of the church. It's okay if, you're, if you are having a hard week and you're like, I need to get to church. Church is not a crutch. Church is a place that houses the presence of God. And sometimes there's people who are carriers of the presence of God in the body of Christ. And you don't want to walk away from them because you're going to try to figure it out on your own. Are you desperate to be in the presence of God? However you can get there, get there. Whether it is worship music 24-7. Whether it is church services like every opportunity you get. Man, there's some people in here who will sit for two services. Not because the preaching was so good or because the worship was so good. It was because the presence of God was here and tangible. Let's get to the place where we crave the presence of God. Three, where have I been placing my joy? Where have I been placing my joy? It says in verse 12, restore to me the joy of my salvation. The joy of my salvation. Sometimes I think, we get lost in the cares of this world and the hardships of this world because we've placed our joy in other things. Or we've allowed the source of our joy to come from other places other than the one who gave us salvation. Think about the first moment you understood that you were saved by grace and freed up from the bondage of sin 
and you were released from the death sentence of death, hell, and the grave. Think about the joy that came in your life. Nothing else mattered. The plans of your life didn't matter anymore. What trajectory of your life, the, the, you know, that didn't matter anymore. It was like, whoa, I am free. I am set free. I am free. I am free indeed. This is amazing. This is where my joy is. Everything is falling apart around me, but I know that my joy is hinged and is solid when the Holy Spirit has told me that you are saved by grace. Again, we have to recognize that we are in need of his grace, desperate need of his grace, and allow our joy to start there. That no matter what else is happening in your life, no matter what else is happening in your life, you are saved by grace. That's all the joy that you need. And if you can be rooted there in the depth of that understanding, you'll be able to go through a lot of different ebbs and flows mountaintops and valleys of this life. Where have you been placing your joy? If it's not been in the creator who created you and is creating the life and is allowing the things that are happening in your life to happen, if your joy doesn't start there, I don't know if we're fully surrendered. I don't know if we're really understanding what the heart of worship is. And number four, Am I available for God to move in and through me? Who can purify my heart? How much do I value right standing with God? Where have I been placing my joy? And four, how available am I? How available are you to doing what God has asked you to do? It says in verse 12, after restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Uphold me. Your head will be lifted high when you are available to the things that God has asked you to do. Your head, your heart, your posture, your shoulders are rolled back. There's a confidence that comes when we are willing to do sometimes the hard things. I'm willing, Lord, to have that hard conversation. I'm willing, Lord to do that hard thing. I'm willing, Lord, to do the mundane thing. I'm willing, Lord, to let go of that. I'm willing, Lord, to let go of that relationship. I'm willing, Lord, to do whatever you want me to do because my surrender determines my purity and my purity pleases you. How available are you to the things of God? There's some major heart checks that we need to make, major questions that we need to ask. But my second question for you today, I want you to think of that, those lists. Check, think about that heart checklist. But another question I have for you this morning is why are heart checks important in our worship? I've already talked to you about this idea of creativity because God creates your life. And it, anything that you create is really an execution of what he already wanted for you. Do you understand that? So there's this creativity that happens in our worship because the creator purifies our heart and then he takes us into a place where we can create a life that is honoring to what he created us to do and be. But why are heart checks so important in our worship? Number one, or not number one, read with me Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know, when I, I, I read that, I was like, man, this is a scripture all on worship. This is how we worship. I love how the message puts it. I'm going to read that too because this helps you understand it a little bit. What the point I was trying to make earlier. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out, from the inside out. Somebody say inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Uphold me by a willing spirit, anyone? 
unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-informed maturity in you. You know, this was, this is a scripture on worship. I talked to you about how you have this creative God who has, who wants you to live a life that's creative based on what he's created you for, right? But really, we need to understand that there's a world and there's an enemy to this utopia creating the life that God always wanted me to walk out, right? There's an enemy to that, and that's conformity. Conformity is what Paul is warning us against. And we have to understand that if our hearts lack purity, we will be lured to conformity. We'll be lured to the things of this world because we have not checked our hearts and we have not submitted our plans, our purposes, and our passions to the creator God. If our hearts lack purity, we will be lured to conformity, and conformity is the enemy of God's creativity. Are you continuing to having heart checks? Heart checks. If not, we will be lured to be like everyone else in this world and conform to the things of this world. But my third question for you is how does community play a role in heart checks? 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 15. I'm not going to go into it, but essentially... David had committed all the sins that he had committed that I mentioned earlier. And he had somebody come to him that he had leaned on for a lot of advice and had leaned on really to give him a lot of prophecy. And he took him at his word. Actually, could you throw it up there? Um, 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 15. And his name was Nathan. And he pretty much just confronts David and he says, actually, gosh, could you get six up there? I don't know. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't get it up there. Essentially, he gives this story that pretty much says what David did. And he's like, suppose this and this and this happened. And essentially, suppose that somebody's, I need to read it to you. Hold on. <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. Can you get me? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, actually, go back even further to, you guys are going to love me for this. Give it up for the production team. First Samuel 16, 3 maybe, starting there. 16, 1. Let's start with 16, 1. Whoopsies. Oh, prepared my procrastinating, okay, never mind. Um, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being, nope, that's not it. That's not it. Second Samuel 12, 7 through 15. We'll just start at 7 through 15. Essentially, Nathan gives David an example of somebody committing essentially just as rough of stuff that David did. That's just a really quick, nah. Um, we're in verse, we're in chapter 12. And go to chapter 12, verse 7. And Nathan says to him, Nathan says, bro, I just told you a story about yourself. I just told you a story about yourself. And he says, you are the man, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. Keep going, verse 8. Keep going. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this, is, if this were too little, I, continue, move it, move it. I, why have, I, have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife. Nathan called Daniel, David, excuse me, out for his sin. But before that, David was like, kill the man who did that. He's horrible. He stole the, 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 the flock and he killed, the, yeah, whatever. I don't have the whole story right in front of me. But he, he essentially just called himself out and told Nathan, like, no, 
kill that man. And Nathan's like, I'm talking about you. The point is, there are moments in our lives where we think that we are always right. And we are never wrong. Caleb tells me all the time, you're just never wrong, are you, Chrissy? I'm like, no. And sometimes Caleb acts as my Nathan. We need community to tell us and help us with some of these heart checks. Sometimes if we're so hidden away from our community and we're just like, it's me and God. God's telling me what to do the whole time. It's me and God. Where is the accountability in that? Who's saying, are you sure? Who's like telling you the real story and like saying it to your face and you're still saying, nope, wrong. Who are you ignoring in the community that God has given you? The absence of community ensures confusion. Are you confused? Are you confused? Dude, I'm confused all the time. <laughs> and I'm always, and I know some people are verbal processors, and I know some people like to talk to people first, and sometimes you got to chill on that. But there are moments where I'm so confused, I need to talk to my husband about it. I know, honey, you're not a verbal processor, but I need to have this pillow talk time, and we're talking about it right now, because I need to submit my thoughts and my, and my, and my, to somebody else. The absence of community ensures confusion. Community is the application tool for God's creativity. I just see him taking different paintbrushes that are different sizes. Today, this one's brown, this one's white, this one's black, this one's wearing this, this one's wearing that, all shapes and sizes, all different kinds of brushes and strokes. That's how wonderful and beautiful the, the, the church is. We're a group of diverse people, diverse thoughts, and we're all these different, different paintbrushes that God uses to help create the life that he calls masterpiece. Community is the application tool for God's creativity. Here's why this is so important. Psalm 139 23, 24, we all know that David gets it together, right? He gets it together. But his heart never changes. His heart never changes. You know, sometimes some hard things like that can rock you and you're changed forever. And his heart posture never changes. And it says this in Psalm 139. This is later in his life. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, oh God, and know my heart. That needs to be the cry of our heart. Not like, I know this, I got this, God. I know what passions you put in me. I know what plans I have. I know, I know, I know, I know. And then Nathan's all around us telling you, do you, do you, do you, do you, do you? You just need to say, search me, God, and know me. It's so important that we continue to allow our heart to be checked by the one who created us. Because, check this out, this got me really excited. If you look at a few verses before this, verse 14 through 16, if anybody has ever been part of fashion, you know this verse inside and out. But it says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it that well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me unformed. My unformed substance in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed to me, when as yet there were none of them. In other words, this scripture is saying that you were formed on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. God knows you better than you know yourself. So continue to say, God, search me and know me. Try me and know my thoughts. I think I know my thoughts, but that's what I feel happens in my brain, mostly. Caleb, help me. Community group, help me. Sisters, help me. Prayer warriors, intercessors, help me. Understand. Here's the thing. God made you unique. He made you. He intricately woven, put you together, woven you in the depths of the earth. He formed you on purpose, for a purpose, with a purpose. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he has a purpose for you that is unique to you and only you. And if we 
don't continue to allow God to search our hearts and we don't continue to allow him to tell us where to go, when to go, then we're going to start being lured into conformity with the rest of this world. And we will not live out the unique purpose that God created and you and you alone. You are unique. Here's what I see that's happening in culture. We got a bunch of copycats who are saying, I want my worship to sound like that church's worship. I want my preaching to sound like that person's preaching. I want my life to look like that other girl's life. I want that, that, that family that they have, I want that to be my life. And we're starting to be conformed to the things that we think look good. And then we aren't checking our hearts and saying, God, clean out my heart. What, what are your ways for me? Am I willing to do what you want me to do, not what you want them to do? Or, or wait, wait, am I willing to do what you want me to do, or am I only willing to have you do what looks like what they're doing? You were created uniquely for a purpose that only you and you alone can fulfill. This world needs you. This is not about like, okay, I just want to be healthy and have my heart checked. I'm good, Lord. No, he's saying I created you to be a part of a force in this world that celebrates me, shows me off, and points your creative life to me. But if we don't obey and if we don't get our heart checked, we're going to be lured to conformity, and then we're living a life less than what he already designed for us. You are unique. You are unique. You know, I mentioned our sabbatical. And that's really a moment where I think I had certain expectations with our five weeks off. And I think others had expectations that after we had five weeks off, God was going to give you all these plans for our church. God's going to give you, like, new thoughts of what, new directions that Project Church is going to go. They're, they're, he's going to give you an idea of, like, how many exactly how many services to have, exactly how to do services, how to switch things up, all these things, all these big dreams, how many churches we're going to plant in the next few years. And I think I had some of that expectation. Yeah, God's going to speak, download some thoughts, and then we'll tell the church when we get back. But you know what happened? Not that. <laughs> Legit. It was like a whirlwind of emotions. And I wonder how many people are in a whirlwind of emotions right now. And God's not saying, plan your way out of it. God's not saying, what have I created? What, what are you most passionate about? God's not saying, what do you think my purposes are for you? He's saying, hush. Be still and know that I am God. And that this God knows you better than you know yourself. Just chill. And that's what I had to do in five weeks. And in my whirlwind of emotions, you know what he did? He removed some idols in my life. And here's the thing, idols are things that we worship. We're talking about worship, right? The things that are good in your life, sometimes they become God things in your life. And when they become God things, they become idols. And that good desire that was put in your heart may have gotten a little tainted. And in sabbatical, God said, there's some desires in your heart that were pretty good. And then over some time, they got tainted a little bit. Some plans may have been, well, I think there's a little selfish ambition in that one. Oh, I think the motivation there may be a little bit more like you need more control over your life. You need more control. You need more money. You need blah, blah, Like all these things. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Gosh, darn it. And so during sabbatical, Caleb and I just went through this moment of a purification of desires in our own lives. And when I came back to the staff, we were like, yeah, we're excited to keep going. But we've also been through it emotionally, good and bad, but good, well, okay, that, oh, that's there. And he was just refining, refining the desires that are in our life. Refining. That's what happens when we allow God to clean house. 
You know, the song that we sang, I will make room for you, I think is an opportunity for him to clean house, to remove some idols, to remove some incorrect motives so that he can have a pure heart, a heart of worship, a heart that pleases him, a heart that points people back to him. Sometimes the idols in our lives and the desires in our lives point back to us. And worship is not about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's not about my desires. It's not about what my passions are. It's not what my power is. It's not about the plans that I have. It's about the purity that you desire for me to have. Would you bow your heads in this place? God, we want to make room for you today to do whatever you want to do, not whatever we want to do. So, Lord, in this room, I think you gave us an opportunity through the reading of your scripture, understanding of even David. Thank you, God, that there's an opportunity for you to clean house. You can clean up our hearts right now in this moment so that we can truly be walking with a heart of worship that pleases you. Not a worship that emulates and is a copycat of everything else, but God, that is a unique and desirable to you and pleasing to you. God, we don't want to be anything outside of you and what you want for us. Right now, as you're sitting there, eyes closed, heads bowed, I would just begin to ask yourself, where have I been putting my joy? How much do I desire or value the presence of God in my life? Remind yourself, you're not going to clean up any messes on your own. Who is going to purify you? Only God can do what he needs to do. Check your heart even right now. God, Holy Spirit, I pray that right now as people are thinking and taking inventory of their lives, that you would give them a revelation of who you are, a revelation of your grace, your hope, your mercy. God, you were so merciful to David. God, I pray that you administer to people right now in this room mercy over the situation that they feel that they cannot come back from. God, I pray for the mistakes in this room that people are holding on to, that they need to let go of and say, God, we receive your mercy and allow you to take over my my heart and we will not let shame reside in our hearts any longer clean house right now Jesus God for the, the heart that is confused for the mind that is confused God we ask that you would bring peace and that you would remind us that you are sovereign that we don't need to control things anymore God we don't even need to control God for the people pleaser in this room I pray that you would touch them right now, that they don't need to control the way people perceive them any longer. In Jesus' name, I pray that you would cut that out of their, their hearts and minds even right now. God, let there be a purity that takes over our hearts because of what you're doing, the work, the revelation that you're giving us even now. God, remove all the shame, remove all the guilt, remove all the, the anxiousness, the stress, and give us your peace and your rest. If you're in this room and you're like, man, I have this heart and I don't, I just don't, I can't say that I've fully surrendered to this person who created me. I don't know him, but I want to know him. I want to know his plans for me. I want to know his heart towards me. I want to think his thoughts, think different thoughts about myself. I want to think and recognize how he sees me and how, what he's planned for me. If that's you in this room and you want to finally give your life to the Lord and you want to make him the savior of your soul, but also the Lord of your life. When you make him the Lord of your life, you're making him the king on the throne of your heart. If that's you in this room and you want to just fully surrender to him and you want your life to be a life that is like David said, it's like no matter what I did, I still have a heart of worship. So I want to receive his grace and his mercy today. If that's you and you want a relationship with God and the one who created you, I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, would you lift your hand and I'm going to pray. No one's looking around. I'm looking around because I want to pray for you. If that's you in this room, raise your hand if you want a relationship with God for the first time or you want to recommit to him. One, two, 
church would you pray with me right now oh you can clap let's clap and celebrate yeah repeat after me thank you Jesus for creating me and ordering my steps to be here in this room to receive you maybe for the first time or to recommit myself to you I accept you into my life I make my heart available to you. I believe that you died and rose again, that I might have life, the life that you intended for me. I confess of my need of you and I receive your mercy. I receive your forgiveness. And I ask that you would give me the strength live for you all the days of my life. In your precious name, amen, amen. Come on, why don't we stand in this place? We're just going to sing this song as we close, but if you made a decision for Jesus for the first time or you're committing yourself, I just want you to encourage you, I just want to encourage you to come to the front. We have some prayer partners who are going to be praying during this song and maybe even, and even after. So if there's prayer partners in this room, could you make your way to the front and make yourself available to those who need prayer? But come on, let's sing this song as kind of a declaration and a closing to what God did in this place. And we commit to him that we're gonna make room for him, not just today, on this Sunday during this worship set, but we're gonna worship him for the rest of the week, right? Let's make ourselves available to him and sing Hey, thanks so much for tuning in to the Project Church Podcast. We pray and hope that this message encouraged you, built you up, and gave you life. We want to ask that you would invest right now in what God is doing here in downtown Sacramento. We've just recently moved in to our all-new building in the waterfront, Old Sacramento District. We want to ask you, if you'd like to give, you can go to projectchurch.com forward slash give to invest. Let's see all that God can do through us.